What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. And we got some exciting news on the Ethos Fantasy BB front. We have a new contributor. His name is Michael Fisher. His first piece went live today. We were holding it back. I wanted to build up the tension a little bit there, build up the suspense. But Michael is officially now a Sports Ethos contributor. You guys should go follow him on Twitter at FishyFisher, F-I-S-H-Y-F-I-S-H-E-R-8-2. His debut article takes a look at all the rule changes that are going to affect you next season for fantasy baseball. He did a fantastic job. It's up on the site as well at Sports Ethos, but go check it out on Twitter. Throw him a follow. Show him some support uh, like we know this industry can. We are going to get back to pitchers. I promise we will get back to pitchers. If you've seen the title already, you know we're not going to be doing pitchers today because there's just been so much news over the last 24 hours. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I'm very grateful to have topics to cover in the offseason because it's a long offseason. We go every single day here. I don't know how many shows exactly that would be throughout the offseason. But we're talking like 100-plus shows where there's no actual baseball going on. So when the stove gets cooking like it did last night, we take a pause and we take a look at what happened. And <clears throat> I think it makes sense to start with Aaron Judge. What the hell happened last night with Aaron Judge? If you guys weren't following on Twitter, uh, you probably missed out on this whole thing. John Heyman um, jumped the gun a little bit. He said that Judge was going to sign with the Giants. He made it sound like it was pretty official. Uh, people in San Francisco, Giants fans online, uh, Justin Mason, Casey Bubba, our friends, were probably very, very happy when that happened. And then a couple minutes later, Heyman tweets out a correction to say he jumped the gun. Uh, it, you know, it did not actually happen. He did not actually sign with the Giants. He ended up going back to the Yankees, which I think we were all kind of expecting. I think that was generally expected for most people. Maybe some people thought he was going to leave. I always kind of thought he'd go back. <clears throat> Nine years, $360 million for Aaron Judge. It is the largest ever financial commitment by the Yankees in terms of total value. I'm probably per year value as well, $40 million a year. Uh, Garrett Cole's $324 million contract from a couple of years ago, no longer their biggest. Now, there's a couple of things here. First of all, John Heyman is a fool for doing that. Everybody always has this, this need to get it right or get it first more so than get it right. Now, I'm a journalism student. A lot of you guys probably know that if you've listened to the pod regularly. I am in school to be a journalist. I am already kind of a journalist. I write baseball stuff. It's fantasy baseball, so depending on how you want to look at it. But journalism is what I do. It's what I want to do. And seeing shit like this from somebody who has a huge position, who people rely on for information, is unacceptable. You shouldn't just be in such a race to beat Buster Olney and Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan, specifically Passan, because he's the final seal of approval on a deal. Uh, you shouldn't be so so keen on being first and getting it wrong. So Heyman's reputation took a huge hit last night, as it should have. Now, that was just the first piece of the whole judge puzzle. Because, I mean, he signed this morning, but last night, Bradford Davis, Bradford William Davis on Twitter, um, he released a report, which he did with Dr. Meredith Wells. Uh, yeah, Dr. Meredith, well, not Will, Wells, Wills with an I, and they were going through um, the baseballs that were being used this season. And I remember talking a little bit with Eno Saris about this at First Pitch Arizona, about how he would try and, you know, when he was at a game, try and get a ball here and there. Uh, to, to get to her because she was drilling into these baseballs, determining what's inside of the core, what was going on, because 
you know, there's been the last couple of seasons, a lot of nonsense with the baseballs. There was the juiced season of 2019 where you look at certain players, you know, Jeff McNeil. I love Jeff McNeil, but he had like 23, 24 home runs that year. It's just one small example. It's not really realistic. I don't think he's ever hit more than 10. Things like that were happening. Guys were hitting crazy home run totals that season. Then we've seen some deadening of the ball and also just some kind of really not sure what exactly happening with the ball in these last couple of seasons since. This report is talking about specifically 2022. They got 200 baseballs, and they were going through them to try and figure out which balls were different, which balls were, you know, if they, first of all, if there was a difference, were there different balls being used, and what was the difference in those balls? Well, the bombshell report from yesterday, the main piece of this here that is important is that it appears that down the stretch, Aaron Judge and the Yankees were getting uh, preferential balls, easier balls to hit home runs with. Uh, they were calling them Goldilocks balls. They were just right, which is you know not too hot, not too cold, just right. Um, and where they were finding these balls, they found them in three locations specifically. It was the All-Star game, it was the playoffs, and it was at Yankees games. So you have to look at this and say the league was trying to push the narrative of Judge hitting the home runs. They were trying to give him every advantage that they could. And, I mean, it worked. It got a hell of publicity for the league. Uh, everybody, well, maybe not everybody, because there's still, you know, certain limits on how many people are going to watch baseball. It's a big sport. Uh, but there were more people watching it than there typically would have been. And down the stretch, I mean, he was hitting home runs throughout the entire year, but he had 11 home runs uh, in September and the beginning of October there. It's definitely fishy, and it definitely makes you think, well, if you really just start thinking about it here, we hadn't seen a legitimate 60 home run season in 60 years. I don't care how many people like Bonds and Clem and not Clemens, Bonds and Sosa and McGuire. Those are illegitimate totals. And I think that that's pretty obvious if you look at baseball history. No one has ever done that. People, they were doing it over a three or four year span, specifically Bonds. I mean, specifically all of them, but Bonds ballooned in size. We've talked about this on the show. It was unnatural. It wasn't supposed to happen. 60 home runs is a very rare feat that in today's game, maybe it shouldn't be possible. And looking at this report, Maybe it should have never happened. It's something that we'll probably never know because this report is only extensive as it can possibly be. And it is a hell of an article. It is a long article. I got through most of it. I still need to continue with it because it's like really, it's, it's, a, it's a short story, really. It's, it's a book almost. Um, but there is a lot in here that is not great. Um, they were telling players, there was one specific player, I believe for the Giants, uh, he was going to hand over a ball or he had talked about... Um, wanted to give a ball over, and he was threatened with penalization. And I think this was not just one specific player. I think the message that the league sent out was, if anybody is caught giving balls away who is a non-union employee, you're going to get canned, which is definitely suspicious. The, the league said after last night, after this, state, after this report came out, that it was total bullshit, that this was not accurate, that there was one ball used. But if there was only one ball used, then why would they be so, so strict on the balls getting out? This is something that I think will need to be looked into a lot more. I know this isn't fantasy, but this is the most important story in the baseball world right now. And I think it's something that we need to look into. I mean, obviously, the average person isn't going to be able to do so much looking into this. But collectively as a whole, we need to hold um, Rob Manfred and the rest of the owners accountable. Not that necessarily the owners were involved, but who knows? I, I have no idea. You know, more people are watching Yankees games. Yankees come to wherever. I mean, Aaron Judge hit that home run in Toronto. That game was a complete sellout from what I remember. 40-some-odd thousand people there. Maybe not quite, you know, every single seat, but 40-plus thousand in attendance. 
that boosted ratings across every team when they were playing the Yankees. So maybe this was something that was a little more coordinated at the ownership slash, um, you know, commissioner's office level. Manfred sucks regardless of this, but if he had any part in doctoring balls or any part in pushing this kind of thing so that more people would watch Yankee games, more people would, you know, buy jerseys and all the rest of it, he needs to be gone. He needs to be fired. I think that he should have been fired years ago with how he mishandled the whole Astros scandal. It was just a complete bungling of the situation. Here, I, I don't think we're really ever going to hear him fess up to anything. I think, obviously, well, I mean, he's not just going to come and admit that he did something like that without being forced to. They're going to have to really present solid evidence, which is going to be hard. You know, they collected 200 and I think 204 balls or something like that. This was not something that they did in a coordinated effort. This was just get a ball wherever you can here and there. It wasn't, you know, we took one ball from every stadium once a month or something. You know, it was whenever you can get your hands on kind of thing. So maybe we need to reserve judgment on Aaron Judge. But there's also part of me that thinks, Jesus, like this is maybe it's maybe we were not crazy to think that there was something a little iffy about this. I know he hit 50. What was it? 54 as a rookie, 52 as a rookie. These last several years, 27, 27, 39, and then to go to 62, there's something a little suspicious about it. And I don't think we were really maybe focusing on it enough in the regular season. Of course, this is going to push into that narrative. Um, but I, I'm I'm a little worried about the state of baseball. If they're going to continue to mess with these baseballs for their own gain, what does that say for us as people who do fantasy? What are we, What does it say for people who are, like myself, going to make rankings and projections heading into the year? What the hell are we supposed to project? We don't know what's going to be used in any given situation. We might, you know, project that judge. I mean, everybody's still saying judge is a first-round pick. I think judge is a first-round pick. He hasn't been the last couple of years, though. He's been, I think last year his ADP was in the 30s or maybe your low 40s. Um, he's going in the first round because of this. The league doesn't care about fantasy, but this is going to affect a lot of fantasy players as well, taking Aaron Judge really early on. Maybe the league says, you know what, we'll just give him the regular balls now. Who gives a shit? No one needs to break any more records. He's got the 62. He gets all regular balls next year, and he hits, you know, 41 home runs. Then we're all looking at Judge at the disappointment. The Yankees think they wasted their money and everything else. The timing of it is really, really interesting because all of this stuff with Aaron Judge came out in the span of about God, I don't know. Heyman deleted the tweet. I'm not sure what time he posted exactly, but um, the article was posted here at 5.23 p.m. I think that Heyman's tweet was right around the same block of 20 or so minutes. There's something weird going on here. Whether the story's timing was on purpose so that they could time it up with Aaron Judge getting signed, I don't know. Uh, but this is something that we're going to have to look into. Maybe not so much on this show because this is a fantasy show. I know you guys like to hear about fantasy. And I've now gone 11 minutes without talking about fantasy. And I apologize for that. Uh, but this is a huge deal. This is a really huge deal for baseball. And I don't know what it, the game is going to look like going forward. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the product. I'm nervous about projecting anybody because who knows if they're going to, you know, somebody else is going to go on a hot streak next year. And maybe we'll want them to break the record and give them juice balls. And it'll be a whole bunch of nonsense. I don't know. I think we're going to move on from that particular point of it and talk more about the actual contract and the fantasy implications. First of all, I think that this is a good signing for the Yankees. They needed to do this. Like they were going to lose the fan base. I think well, the fan base is, is hard to really predict in New York year to year anyway, but this would have been something that really alienated a lot of people. If Aaron judge walked, if he went to San Francisco or the Dodgers or wherever, uh, people were not going to be thrilled about that. And rightfully so. Uh, teams should go after these kind of players. If As a Blue Jay fan, if we let Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette walk, I don't care how much it costs, you sign them. You go there and you put the money out and you sign them. 
the later years of this deal and the other deals that are similar to it, you know, the Trey Turner deal in, in particular and other deals over the years, I worry a little bit about the whole Pujols effect, you know, the Albert Pujols syndrome effect, whatever you want to call it. Massive, massive contracts to guys who are projecting as MVP, um, you know, Hall of Fame type players. Aaron Judge could be a Hall of Famer. Hypothetically, he could be. Trey Turner, I think, could be a Hall of Famer as well. Pujols, obviously, first ballot. He should just go in right now. He should be on the ballot this year. Forget the waiting period, I think. But this is something where I think down the end of these careers, their contracts are going to suck. For the next couple of years, for fantasy, for real life, the Phillies and Yankees fan bases, you can be very happy about them, and you should be. Uh, you got elite players who are just turning. Th- I mean, Judge is going to be 31 in April, I think, and Trey Turner is going to be 30. You've got the next five, seven maybe eight years at absolute most, probably not even eight years, probably five to seven is the most accurate number you can put there on their value. And then we are going to be looking at some dead weight. And I know people talk about how it doesn't matter at the end of the contract if it's dead weight or not. It depends what happens in those next five or seven years. If they don't make the playoffs or maybe, you know, make the playoffs disappointing, disappointing, disappointing. And then you get to those, you know, 2028, 2029 seasons and you owe these guys 30 plus 40-ish million dollars a year in their later 30s, then we're going to have people looking back and saying, well, we should have never signed them in the first place. I think that you sign those deals, you take those deals, uh, but they will end up hurting some teams. And I think that that's kind of brushed over for the, you know, we're going to be mad either way. If our teams don't sign players, if they sign them for too much money, we are going to bitch about it either way. But I think that I think that they're going to end up regretting this contract a little bit by the time we get to the last couple of years. Trey Turner as well. You know, you're going to have a 40-year-old shortstop, 39-year-old shortstop? Probably not. For right now, they had to do it. It's a great deal in the interim, uh, but we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. And, of course, Judge is going to regress a bit, 62, and especially with this whole ball thing. 62 home runs, 133 runs, 131 ribbies. We've talked about the 16 steals. The whole thing was ridiculous. Uh, 11.4 was his war this year. He was just stupid. He's going to regress. Specifically, if they start giving him regular baseballs again, and maybe I'm, you know, some conjecture on my part, maybe they were giving him just, you know, the same stream of regular baseballs, and it just happened that they found 10 or 11 balls from Yankees games. I don't know. It seems very suspicious. He's going to regress one way or the other, whether it's because of the balls, because of just natural, you don't do this year in and year out. Um, but he's not going to be quite exactly that. And I think that they didn't exactly go crazy with an overpay. I think that this is probably about right. $40 million, it's a lot of money, but to get him, I think this is what they needed to do. There was a report that I think the Padres offered a 10th year, 10 years, $400 million or so, and he didn't want to go to San Diego. I can only imagine, like we've talked about what that lineup would look like with Bogarts and with Trey Turner. If Aaron Judge was there, like any of the combination of them, but like Tatis, Soto, Machado, and Judge, and then Cronenworth, Kim, like you're looking at a fantastic, especially the top four, like all-time kind of top four lineup there. Uh, He chose to take a little bit less money, and I think one less year as well, and go to the Yankees. So he wanted to stay where he was. He'll be a Yankee for the rest of his career unless he gets traded. It's all good and well. For fantasy purposes, I'm still taking him in the first round, middle of the first round, I think, but I'm... I'm a little nervous about it. I'm going to be nervous about literally every single player because we just don't really know uh, what to expect year in and year out. I do want to move on from Aaron Judge, though, because we have spent, I don't know in the history of the show if I've ever spent that much time in one episode on one person. But biggest story of the baseball world, so we spent a little bit more time on it. We're going to talk about another signing that took place, Cody Bellinger. 
Now, I, I'm a little bit mixed about this one in terms of how I feel about it. I think that, you know, like the, the common phrase is there's no bad one-year contracts. And Cody Bellinger got a one-year, $17.5 million contract from the Cubs. I just am not really sure that going to an inferior team, an inferior staff by all accounts, is going to make any difference with Cody Bellinger. This is not my original thought. This has been spewed out a bunch on Twitter. But if a team like the Dodgers, who can literally fix anything, they could put Humpty Dumpty back together if they wanted, if they couldn't get an MVP like Cody Bellinger back to his form, or at least some semblance of his form from his first three years, where he was looking like he was going to be an inner circle Hall of Famer. Like those first three seasons were insane. 39 homers, 25, 47. Like 39 homers as a rookie, first of all. 97 ribbies, he batted 267 that year. You know, he's walking over 10% of the time, well over 10% of the time. It was 11.7 and then 11, 14.4. That's gone. That high walk rate, high home run guy is not there anymore. These last three years, I guess throw away 2020, the last two years, 10 home runs and 19 home runs. And it's been over the course of like 250 games. It's not like it's been, you know, he's missed a little bit of time, specifically in 2021, but this year was a pretty full season. A 210 batting average. He's walking only 7% of the time, striking out up at 27% of the time, which is not terrible. But, you know, he used to be closer to like 23. His MVP season, he struck out only 16% of the time. 2020, it was 17. He has become a bad baseball player. And maybe the Cubs can do something to change him. Maybe the Cubs can, I don't know, tinker with something, change the scenery. I'm not sure what it's going to take with Cody Bellinger because, like I said, we trust the Dodgers as much or more as we do any organization in baseball. If they can't fix a guy, then you have to think that nobody can. And, you know, we've seen this with the Blue Jays a little bit. I've seen it anyway. Mitch White, um, you know, Ross Stripling, he was an all-star in Los Angeles. He had a couple of bad years, now better in Toronto. Uh, Toronto was looking at Andrew Heaney, who I think we're going to be – we're going to talk about him tomorrow. Uh, I think that's going to be a disaster. But Toronto seems to go after these guys who L.A. didn't really want anymore. And I don't think that going after players – who the Dodgers, who the best team in baseball, have kind of given up on really makes uh, too much sense there. Now, in terms of ADP, um, searching on the website here, he is not with the Cubs yet when you search by uh, NFBC ADP. I wonder if he's still listed as a Dodger on here. He is still listed as a Dodger. His ADP overall is 197. Now, if I factor in uh, or if I factor out the Gladiator drafts, I should say he's going 198, so about the same place. I don't know that I can feel very good about taking Cody Bellinger here, even though there's a scarcity of outfielders in a five outfielder format. I don't know that I'm going to be that interested in taking him. Like people will take him. People will absolutely take him. And I, maybe it'll work out. I think he's still somebody who should be on rosters. Even last year where he was very disappointing, he was still a fantasy relevant player. He had 19 homers. He had 14 steals, 70 runs, 68 ribbies, still relevant. But I don't know that he should be a top 200 player anymore. I guess it feels okay, the outfielder 43. But, you know, I talked about Lars Newbar the other day. I'll take Lars Newbar over Bellinger. I'll probably take Verdugo over Bellinger, honestly. Um, Ramon Laureano, eh, I don't know. It, it's close. I'm, I'm not big on, on Bellinger here. I think that people are still kind of chasing previous years, which is what people tend to do. We're seeing it again with Sal Perez as a side note. Still going pretty damn high in drafts. He was okay last year, but I think a big part of it is we're still chasing what he did a couple of years ago, 48 home runs, 120 RBIs or something like that. Uh, we tend to not live in the moment in fantasy. Sometimes we live in the moment too much, and we have these knee-jerk reactions. 
sometimes we try and look back and say, you know, Bellinger can still be an all-star kind of player. I think he can be fine, but I'm not really going to be investing in it. Let somebody else take that risk in their draft this year. Somebody's going to take him. For me, I doubt that I'll have even one share, maybe one share, maybe one, just to say I'm a piece of it and just, you know, follow along. It's easier to follow along with players when you do have shares of them, but I'm not big. I'm, I'm really not a big Cody Bellinger guy. Let's move on here to the next signing, and I have to shout out Sarah Sanchez, who I spent some time with in Arizona. She's great. She's going to come on the pod at some point. Um, her favorite player, Wilson Contreras, she is a Cubs fan, massive Cubs fan. She does Cubs podcasts. Um, Wilson Contreras signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. That is like truly got to be worst case scenario. It'd be like, you know, if it's not going to happen, but oh Christ, I hope it doesn't happen. If like Guerrero, Vlad Guerrero went and signed with the Yankees or something like that, obviously different level player, but you're talking like, you know, the, the leader of your team, take, take any gr- proper player, any Blue Jay player and have them sign with the Yankees or Red Sox, specifically Yankees. Uh, that's going to hurt. So thinking about Sarah today, that's that's not an easy one to swallow. I know the feeling. Wilson Contreras got a five-year deal, $87.5 million. <clears throat> the funny thing about this deal, uh, 87.5 divided by five is $17.5 million. It's the exact same average annual value that they're going to be giving Cody Bellinger. If you're going to extend one or the other, or if you're going to go for one or the other, I'm going with Wilson Contreras. You're getting a catcher, granted a couple years older, but you know exactly what Wilson Contreras is. We know he's a 20 home run, 60-some-odd RBI, guy who can pitch in a couple steals while hitting roughly 240, 250 for you, playing catcher. Bellinger, we have no idea what the hell he's going to be. I I don't know what the Cubs are thinking here because, again, I'm not the biggest minor league guy. I'm going to take a look at Cubs prospects, uh, see if they have like a, a great catcher coming up, but I don't think so. Like, I don't think that the Cubs are a team that has a deep minor league system. Uh, Cubs top prospects. Let's see if there's a catcher in the system that I'm maybe just forgetting about. Um, they got the highest rated catcher in their system is their 15th ranked prospect. He's at single A. And then Miguel Amaya, he's their 16th ranked prospect. I think he's projected to be in the majors. Maybe he played in the majors. I don't think he has. Um, but it's not a great situation anyway uh, with their catchers. You have Wilson Contreras, who is quality catcher five-year contract is not an outrageous term this is not an outrageous dollar value to give him either I think the Cubs are crazy for letting him walk I think the the deal for the Cardinals is very good Um, you're getting and honestly this kind of kills any talk of Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen or whatever going to the Cardinals Uh, they're set at catcher and the Cardinals are pretty set overall in their lineup to the point where I was talking with somebody earlier this morning uh, and I Jordan Walker, you know, we were talking about Jordan Walker. Is there room for him? Is he going to be up in the bigs? I don't think so. I, I think that he's going to start the season in, I think I think he, I think double A was the highest level he played. I don't think he got the triple A. He'll probably start in triple A and then come up mid-season. Uh, this lineup is pretty stacked right now. Roster resource, they've changed it around a couple of times today because it's, it's you know, you could mess around with this lineup a few different ways and be fine with it. But right now, Tommy Edmond listed as first, Contreras second, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Brendan Donovan, fifth, Tyler O'Neill, Lars Nupar, Juan Yepes, Dylan Carlson. Arguably the deepest lineup in all of baseball. An incredible lineup with a mixture of veterans like Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras. And then you got your young guys as well. Dylan Carlson, Yepes, 24 years old, Nupar, 25, Donovan, 25, O'Neill, 27. It's an incredible lineup. Now, their pitching, 
We're not going to talk so much about it. Maybe not quite as impressive uh, with Adam Wainwright still slotted in there as the projected SP1. Eh, not the greatest, but their lineup is is seriously stacked. And I think Wilson Contreras, uh, for fantasy purposes, is going to be somebody who is, I know Vlad Sedler was talking about this, a little bit underrated so far in drafts. Uh, if you're looking at uh, just draft champions, 103 is his ADP. Probably going to be a pretty good bargain there in that lineup. I don't know if he'll bat second or not. But he'll be somewhere probably in that top five. Uh, at worst, I think sixth in that lineup. And even still, if you're sixth in the lineup and you're batting behind Goldschmidt, Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, and those guys, you're going to get a lot of runs. You're going to get a lot of RBI. Well, specifically RBIs, uh, something that could go up for him next year. Home runs should be around 20. And like we said, you know, he'll give you a couple steals out of the catcher slot, which is certainly not nothing. Uh, I like Wilson Contreras. I like this deal. Feel sorry for Cubs fans because I don't really understand why they wouldn't just pony up the dollars. I guess they don't think he fits into their competitiveness window. But then, you know, we're going to talk about the next signing here, Jamison Tyone. They went out and signed Jamison Tyone to a four-year, $68 million deal. Why on earth did Jamison Tyone get this kind of money? I I don't know. I I think he's a fine pitcher. I like Jamison Tyone. But we're talking, I mean, maybe the market is just at that point where a guy like him is going to get this kind of dollar value. But $68 million over four years, you're talking $17 million, again, with that $17 million with the Cubs. It's kind of weird. Uh, I don't know why Jamison Tyone would be a guy that you go for. you got some young pitchers that you can send out there. You don't need to spend this money unnecessarily on a very mediocre pitcher. Had a couple of good years overall, and this year he was fine, 391 ERA. Uh, for the career, 384 ERA, 385, 389 XFIP. He's he's fine. He's not somebody that you need to spend that much money on. Not that it's a crazy amount of money, but if you're going to cheap out on Contreras and spend the money on Tyone, I just I don't understand it. I don't think that this deal makes that much sense from a baseball perspective. From a fantasy perspective, it's not good. I mean, you're going to a ballpark that... It's not, I mean, the friendly confines, if for, first of all, uh, it's not going to lead to more home runs staying in the park. It's going to lead to more balls leaving the park. Uh, you know, very basic assessment there, but this is a park that's known as a hitter's park more so than, I mean, Yankee Stadium as well, but you're taking him off of a good team where he just had 14 wins this year onto a team that's probably, I mean, that division is such a shit show. Uh, I think the Cardinals are going to win it very, very easily. And then the rest of it is going to be, you know, it reminds me of that from Moneyball when Brad Pitt says, you know, there's rich teams and then there's poor teams. And there's 50 feet of crap and then there's us. There's 50 feet of crap after the Cardinals and then you're looking at the rest of the division. It sucks. Uh, I don't know that this move is going to do anything for fantasy value other than just hurt him a little bit. I'm not sure where he's going in these drafts. I'll take a look here. But I think, and maybe I'm being a little too harsh on him, like, you know, a 384 career ERA is fine. I think more so I'm looking at it from a fantasy point of view. He's he's okay. But, you know, you're not getting big strikeouts. You're getting overall pretty mediocre play. Like I, I again, I'm trying to get myself behind it as I'm as I'm saying here. I just can't really get myself behind the idea of of him having that much value here. His draft pick, his draft price not that high this year. 258 is his ADP. But I'm I'm interested to see where it moves. It'll probably move a little bit down, if anything. You know, he's not getting 14 wins on the Cubs. He's just not. The walk rate, very good. Strikeout rate, pretty poor. Overall, I don't think that this makes that much sense from a real baseball point of view. And I know I've been real baseball a little bit more today, but it's kind of hard to avoid that when you're looking at all these signings. Your instinct is to talk about it from both sides. Or for me, 
I mean, the instinct is is real baseball at first to evaluate the signings, and then of course look at it from a fantasy point of view as well. I don't think that this makes sense from either standpoint here. I think that they're going to end up regretting this contract. They're giving unnecessary money away to guys who are not going to be long-term proper pieces, and maybe you could say Contreras wasn't either. But you got a leader in the clubhouse who's been there. He was like the last remaining piece from the World Series team, I believe. Maybe there's a straggler. I think Jay, or not Jay Happ, Jesus. Ian Happ came the year after. Uh, I think he was probably about the last guy there, last player from that team. I don't know. I don't really know how to assess the Cubs so far. I don't think that they've done a terribly great job. A lot of people are saying, it's not my money, it's the owner's money. Spend it up, spend it up the wazoo, whatever. But they spend that money and they're not going to have it to spend in subsequent years on different players who might arise, who might want to come there or whatever. You're going to say, oh, we got money tied up in this guy and that guy and the other guy. And it's like, well, what are we going to do here? It makes no sense. It really doesn't make sense from that point of view. Um, I think a lot of people will look at it and say, I mean... Again, there are there are a lot of different points of views here, but I think there will be people in the camp of save that money, people in the camp of spend all the owner's money, I don't care. I think that you have to fall somewhere in the middle, but when you're talking about this kind of deal, I, I don't think you can say, yes, yeah, spend all the money on Jamison Tyone. It's going to have a good ROI. Uh, I think that at best case, he maybe just ever so slightly lives up to this deal, but it's an, it's an overpay. It's an absolute overpay for a guy who is... Not a great pitcher. Uh, he's fine, but I, I don't know. Not not somebody that I'd be drafting outside of a deeper format. If you're talking your standard 12-team, 10-team league, I would not be touching Jamison Tyone. He may have some streamer value depending on you know matchup and whatnot, uh, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be touching him really so much. The next one, I don't think this one makes that much sense either. This is the last one we're going to touch on today because I do want to split this up. We're going to go a long, long time if I end up going through every single player that has signed because i mean since i started recording there's probably been a few signings people are just going left right and center so we're going to break this up over two days but the last guy we're going to talk about today is taiwan walker i don't really get this deal either he actually got a slightly better deal than tyone got four years 72 million dollars for taiwan walker he had a good year this year i think it was arguably the best year of his career 12 and 5 record 349 era but again a very mediocre pitcher and I, I don't I mean he's had good seasons he's had bad seasons he's been an okay pitcher but he's not somebody that I would have thrown this kind of investment at you're talking 18 million dollars a year to freaking Taiwan Walker like maybe the market is just that at that point you have to pay between 15 and 20 million dollars for an sp3 or an sp4 I don't really get it. I, I would personally have rather them re-signed, if I were them, re-sign Zach Eflin, get him for a cheaper deal. You're getting a guy who's a comparable pitcher. You're not getting somebody who's that much worse. Maybe you could argue Walker's a little bit better, but he's not a big strikeout pitcher. Uh, he's not somebody who you can really rely on to take you that deep into games. He's going to pitch, you know, his most innings ever is 169, and that's over 29 starts. This year, 29 starts, 157 innings. He doesn't eat that many of them. Last year, 30, or sorry, 29 starts again last year, 159. I'm just not, again, not really big on this kind of move. The Phillies have had a pretty good offseason. Of course, Trey Turner, that's a great offseason in and of itself for any team. But I just don't really understand the need to do this kind of deal with Taiwan Walker. Maybe he was the best guy that they had out there, the best available name that was willing to come to them. But it feels like a huge, huge overpay, especially when you've already got a couple of strong guys atop your rotation, Wheeler and Nola. Nola is a 
close to a top 10 pitcher in baseball, Wheeler. I mean, you could argue they're both like top 15 pitchers in baseball. I don't know necessarily that this makes sense. I think they could have gone into next year with Nola, Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, Eflin, and then maybe Bailey Falter as the fifth guy. Maybe, you know, uh, work out some somebody else there. Maybe, I don't know. But I don't think it makes sense to spend this kind of money unless they just say they don't care about the money. And maybe they don't. And if they don't care about the money, God bless them. My worry with these teams spending this money, the Phillies in particular, because the Cubs I don't think are going to be that you know interesting the next couple of years. I think they're probably not going to be great. Phillies just went to the World Series. Uh, they want to maybe make another push to get back. I don't know that Taiwan Walker is going to be a guy who really helps you make that push to get back. A couple of years from now, I would expect us to be saying, Jesus, like that's that's a bad contract because now they're not spending on player X because there's this $18 million tied up in Taiwan Walker, which is when people are going to tear their hair out. I could be completely wrong. Of course, this is just my opinion. These are not facts. Taiwan Walker could pitch to a sub-3 ERA next year and get Cy Young votes. I have no idea what's going to happen. But on the surface, it looks like a fairly bad move uh, going to Philadelphia, going within the same division, which is fine, whatever. Um, you don't play the division as much next year. Cool. I still think that this is not going to be that great of a move. Like, just to recap one more time, like he's only won double-digit games twice in his career. And I don't really look at that so much. I think that that's more random than anything else. But when you look at a whole career and the guy, like he doesn't go deep in games, typically like this was his career high with 12 victories this year. That's the absolute ceiling for a guy like Walker who doesn't strike out a lot of batters. Again, he doesn't eat those innings at all. He never has. 169 is the most he's ever pitched. Always making, in those seasons, 29, 25, 28 starts. Never really getting up there. So I I don't hate this signing, I guess. I mean, it probably sounds like I hate it. I don't hate it. But I don't think it's the smartest use of money in the long run. And, of course, that all comes down to whether these front offices just say, or these owners, really, more so than front offices, just say, back up the Brinks truck. Philadelphia might be a little sour about not winning the World Series. That's why they threw their money a couple extra years at Trey Turner, perhaps. And, of course, they got to make up for Bryce Harper being gone for a little bit. But I think that maybe they just say, I was about to use the F word there. I haven't used it yet on the show. It will come eventually. They just say, to hell with it, and spend all the money they can to get back to winning a World Series title. If that's the case, if they're just going to keep spending and spending and spending, all power to them, right? That's that's totally cool. I just don't want this to hurt teams down the line because of overpaying for a present deal, which almost always happens. The Albert Pujols one is when we always point to. Josh Hamilton was a bad contract. I mean, Christ, you can just go through all the Angels' free agent acquisitions over the last couple of years. Bad contract after bad contract, and they end up hurting the team down the line especially when you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. This one, maybe not so bad. You're tying up 70 million, 72 million, uh, but I don't love it. I don't really love any of these deals. I mean, Contreras, I think that's a good deal for St. Louis. I think it's a head scratcher for Cubs and Cubs fans. They were expecting it, but I think it's still kind of a, what the hell do we do here? Aaron Judge is the one that I'm a little bit torn on because I think that it's going to be a pretty good deal, but I also don't know what we're going to see next year in terms of the balls for him. And, I mean, now that this come out, it's probably not going to be, you know, we're still pumping them in, um, you know, juiced balls or whatever. I just have no expectations with baseball. They're deceptive. They don't really care about the fans for the most part. I have no idea what to anticipate for Aaron Judge heading into next year. I know it's not going to be 60 home runs again, especially now. Uh, but is it going to be 40? Is it going to be 50, 55? Is it going to be 32? Is it going to be 27 like he had in 2017 or in 2018 and 2019 where he only hit 27 home runs those years? He missed some time those years, but 
we have, we have no idea. That's the thing that really gets under my skin with that report from last night. So I'm not going to keep you guys for too long because I could just ramble on about this all day. Maybe some of you like that, some of you don't. But I like to keep these generally, especially in the offseason, closer to half an hour, 40 minutes. Uh, when I have guests on, we go a little bit longer, but typically on a solo show, we'll do 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Uh, tomorrow, we'll pick up where we left off and talk about some more of these signings because there are a lot of them. Uh, ones I didn't even talk about today, Josh Bell, Andrew Heaney, Mitch Hanniger, uh, Jose Quintana, Kenley Jansen is going to be the closer for the Red Sox. We're going to talk about those tomorrow and probably some more stuff as well as these uh, as this news keeps breaking. Uh, we're going to get back to starting pitching. We're going to get into relief pitching as well. Greg Jewett from Reliever Recon and The Athletic is going to join us in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about relief pitchers, talk about their outlook for next year, how they look this past season, their draft price. We're going to get back into that. Uh, but when there's a day like this where there's just so much news to go through, I figured we would just take a pause and talk about all of that. So, guys, check us out. First of all, go check out Michael Fisher on Twitter. He wrote a fantastic piece for us, like I said off the top. He's going to be doing these. Now, it's the off season. We're still working out what's going to come out when, what schedules are going to be, you know, who's going to be writing what when. But Michael's first piece is on our website at sportsethos.com, at ethosfantasybb, and you can find him at fishyfisher82. Now, that's not the only thing we got going on, Ethos Fantasy BB. Another article came out today, multiple stuff coming out today. It makes me very happy to see that kind of thing. Uh, Bird Rights Podcast on Twitter, that's Stephen Bagel. Now, he does the front office stuff for us on the basketball side, but he also is a big baseball fan, dynasty baseball fan in particular, and he loves going through these rosters predicting uh, who's going to be where. He did it kind of around the trade deadline for us as well. He did a primer for the trade deadline, which was closer to a manifesto. Uh, but his article on the American League East dropped today. All the National League previews have come out, so please go check them out at sportsethos.com, at ethosfantasybb. Very important that these people have their work showcased because they're doing excellent work. They're spending a ton of time on these articles, and it's really worth a click. So, guys, go ahead and follow them at birdrightspod, B-I-R-D-R-I-G-H-T-S-P-O-D. And, of course, Michael Fisher at Fishy, F-I-S-H-Y, Fisher82. And, of course, Ethos Fantasy BB. If you guys want to go follow my personal account, that's at JoeOrico99. Spell it out for you guys. Haven't done that in a while. J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. All of my fantasy baseball content and all of the sports ethos stuff will be shared on there, assuming I don't miss anything. But that's why you go follow Ethos Fantasy BB because it's going to start really ramping up over the next month or so. Tons of content, new podcasts coming out as well. A really exciting time. So enough of me rambling. I will let you guys get back to whatever it is you're doing today. And we'll pick this back up tomorrow, talking about some of those other signings. Probably starting with Kenley Jansen, because that one uh, interests me quite a bit. But guys, uh, take care, and hope you have a great night. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.